You're looking for an opportunity to move me. You're looking to do something that would make me say, wow. From Steppenwolf Theatre Company in Chicago, Illinois. That's what great actors do, and hopefully that's what good buildings do. This is Half Hour. Friends, great to see you. Yes, we're back. Happy to be here with you two. I'm Cliff Chamberlain. We've got Audrey Francis. And me, James Vincent Bearden. James, you sound like you're so far away. Aloha from Hawaii. From Hawaii? Audrey, where are you? I'm in Chicago, Illinois. And I'm in Peabody, Massachusetts, which is where my mom Peabody. grew up. Um, Peabody. Yeah, Peabody. Um, James, uh, this week, we've got a conversation with you and a true visionary. Seriously, a big deal, right? In a discipline far afield of our own, yeah? Yes, yes. Uh, I was lucky enough to sit down with the renowned architect Gordon Gill. Gordon Gill, huge deal. How was it? It was incredible. He's a visionary. He's uh, someone who came to mind when we kind of thought about this season. And I think because um, his visions as an architect, the buildings, the projects that he's been a part of are um, just incredible and defy explanation in some sense. And so I was really excited to to meet with him and have him explain some of his process to to me. Um, he's a part of a company called um, ASGG, which we'll refer to on occasion in the interview, which stands for Adrian Smith and Gordon Gill Architecture. And those guys, along with Robert Forrest, uh, started with the company, an iconic company in Chicago, architecture firm uh, uh, Skidmore, Owings & Merrill. Um, and uh, they kind of branched off from those guys and created their own um, architecture firm, which is known literally around the world. I listened to your interview in a car, and I I called you right after because I was so inspired in a new way about Steppenwolf and the history of Steppenwolf, but also the future of Steppenwolf after hearing this conversation between you and Gordon. And then I walked through the new arts and education center. And it was, I don't know if either of you have been in there yet, but it's, it's opening in the fall and it truly does feel like a love letter to Chicago. Mm-hmm. And it's, I, I am huge on education and also that theater. When I walked into this building, I felt um, humbled by the art that this man envisioned and created and the fact that we'll get to create art and education in it for decades to come. So thank you for this conversation. Oh yeah. He's, um, he's really incredible. And he's, you know, I, I always thought of him as sort of an artist, but this dude is an artist. Like Mm -hmm. he does what we do. Yeah. Oh, I can't wait. Cannot wait. So without further ado, then let's uh, open up the door this interview and let's go uh let's go inside and get a listen all right here's james vincent meredith with gordon gill half hour tap the show please half hour half hour please tap the show half hour gordon gill i can't tell you how excited i am that you have joined our podcast our half hour podcast oh thanks james it's, it's just great to see you and 
hear from you. It's, it's my pleasure. So I wanted to have you on because I have thought of you over the years um, as an artist. You are a creator, just like us as, uh, you know, in the theater world. You know, you tell stories with your work, right? And I don't think you're afraid to dream. And I think you have to dream, right? That's for sure. That's for sure. Um, you know, we're constantly kind of dreaming about the future and dreaming about ideas and thinking about people and experiences. Mm -hmm. And you're right. It's, it, there is a, there is a, a pretty close um, affinity between what you do and what we do, um, except you do it, um, I think, much better. Well, I have a feeling a lot more people see your work than see mine. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. So um, I know you've your company has done Adrian Smith and Gordon Gill Architecture, um, also with Robert Forrest. Uh, you guys were created in 2006. Yeah, 2006. Now you, I got to move it back a little bit because I had no idea. I was doing a little bit of homework and I saw that you were born in Jamaica. <laughs> yeah, I'm Jamaican. I I, I can hear it. <laughs> oh, really? No, no, I can't. I'm joking. <laughs> um, uh, but but so you were there though for uh, until age eleven. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. And we still go down. Still go, you know, as often as we can. We still have a place down there. Yeah, I grew up in Jamaica, then moved to Toronto, and then came to the United States when I went to school. Do you have any? Um because I have an eight-year-old, and I know he's not going to remember anything, you know, from his age now or very little. But do you have any memories of, of that time? All of them. Yeah. All of them. Yeah. I'm going to tell you that you're, I think your eight-year-old will remember everything. Uh, I, hope, <laughs> I hope he doesn't remember everything, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, love, I, love, I love growing up down there. You know, it was, you know, I, I still carry a lot of those um, memories and experiences with me, and they run deep. There, you know, the whole the whole idea of nature and environment and people and this kind of strange relationship between, um, let's call it formality and informality, or you know, oppositions like the built environment and nature, or you know, elegance and relaxation, or you know, I think there, there's all these things that that pop up that I still carry with me. Yeah, I love, I, I love the place. When did you start to imagine a world in which you could create places for people to, to move around in? <laughs> um, so I, I had a, I, I, when I was a kid in Jamaica, you have to remember when I grew up in Jamaica, I grew up in the middle of the island and like from from where we lived, you couldn't see another house. So at night, like you couldn't see another light. Wow. Just just pitch dark. And I told my kids about going to Jamaica and, and going outside and holding up your hand and not being able to see your hand. And they're like, ah, come on, Dad. And then we went to Jamaica and we did it. And I'm like, holy cow. Wow. <laughs> um, but when I was little, I would draw plants. I would, you know, take a crayon and draw buildings, what I thought were buildings. And I would draw them over and over and over. And it got to the point where my parents um, would buy me bags of cement. <laughs> <laughs> and, 
in, like send me over in the corner of the yard. I had a, I had a little corner in a, in a garden uh-huh. uh, on the back side of the house on the hillside, and I would go there and build cities. I would mix the concrete and build little blocks of buildings and put my cars in there and plant trees. You know, my father always told me wherever you go, plant a tree. So I actually went there back there years ago. Uh, like, you know, let's call it 15, 20 years ago, 30 years later. And of course, everything was gone except that tree. Wow. That, that tree is still there. So I was doing stuff like that. And, you know, my mother never told me this, but she, my mother's 94 now. And I saw her a few years back and she said, I have something for you. And she gave me this piece of paper. It was a letter. And it was a letter from my kindergarten teacher. And it said, Gordon will be an architect. And I was six. <laughs> so I just, you know, this is just something, I don't know if you're the same way, James. I think maybe you are. It's just kind of like in your blood. It's just what you do. Sure. You're not really sure why. I can't explain it. I don't know why I was doing stuff like that. But that's what I love to do. So there's, early on, there was this idea of, um, wanting to build these cool kind of buildings and, and, and design these, these places. And yet also your father saying, you know, don't forget to plant a tree. Right. Um, yeah. And it, it feels like that ethos has kind of traveled with you decades later. Right. The idea that, yeah. uh, every project that I see that deals with, with ASGG, involves nature involves yeah. energy involves conservation of energy um did those th- two things then grow together or yeah yeah um it it kind of it didn't manifest itself for me until i did my first master's degree at the university of texas in arlington and i took a little time to look at my projects and <laughs> try to figure out why i was doing the stuff i was doing um, and then I realized that I have this, this, this issue, <laughs> and, and the issue, the the issue is, and it's and it's just not mine. I think it's everybody's issue, everybody's thing. You know, on the one hand, we crave technology and we love innovation and we like making amazing things. I was always fascinated by, you know, aircraft and space and all the amazing things that human beings endeavor to, you know, conquer. But at the same time, in contrast, in some ways, we find, I think human beings find nature to be their most comforting environment. Almost impossible to compete with nature from an architectural standpoint. Mm-hmm. And so what do, you do? What, do you, what do you do? I have this job. To, to design buildings and cities. But at the same time, I know that those who inhabit them crave natural environments and they can't live without them. So it became this kind of relationship that I, I wrote about and tried to practice, which was the integration of the natural environment with the built environment. And it's evolved over the last, you know, 27 years to be more than just putting a tree <laughs> it's more than just a tree, right. right? It's it's kind of a DNA that we have to understand what are the 
how to make buildings better, how to make how to make cities better. It's so wild to me because that goes into to every part of the process. It seems to me like like the yeah. you know the that energy, the performance of of a building, you know, um, and yet I also see these. I have to say, when people think of ASGG, they think of you know these buildings that are shooting way up into the sky. I think there's one you guys are working on now, the the Jeddah Tower, the um, Kingdom Tower, I believe, that is yeah. uh, over twice the size of our Willis Tower. So how does that work when you deal with a building that is that tall? Yeah. Well. Um, yeah, so that's um, Jeddah Tower in, in Saudi Arabia that's under construction now. And, you know, we did a couple of things with that building. That building is a very simple diagram in terms of its form. <laughs> and it's shaped that way because for those buildings, super tall or even mega tall, right, right. Um, the wind loads on them are, are very um, determinate to their performance. So, you know, if you can confuse the wind loads on that building or reduce the wind loads on those buildings, you're really going to save yourself a lot of um, redundant structure. So what you're trying to do is like an airplane. You're trying, to des- you're trying to design it so it performs as well as possible in the wind at those heights. And in doing so, you can really take out a lot of the structure in the building. And that's where the carbon is. That's where the carbon lives. The embodied carbon of those buildings are, are really majority in the infrastructure that goes into holding that building up. And on that building, one of the one of my favorite parts of that building that people don't even know about is when we do these things, we're often looking at not just how our building is performing, but what is the impact that our building has on others. Hmm. Um, and you might remember stories of um, buildings in London that um, didn't understand their reflectivity or didn't understand what they were doing and, you know, set like a car on fire that parked outside because of the concentration of the sun. Wow. Do you remember that? I don't Do remember, remember that? that. That's crazy. Yeah, it's crazy. So, you know, when I went to school in Toronto, I remember uh, there was a building that was built and they didn't understand that. This was, you know, in the 80s. And the reflectivity from that building was heating up the building across the street. And the building across the street sued them and they had they had to replace their mechanical system because the the impact that they had was that that significant. So here we said, okay, we're working in the desert. It's a very intense environment. What does the reflectivity of this building mean? And when we looked at it, we looked at the angle of incidence on the sun on the surface of the glass. We realized that we were concentrating light or had heat toward the base of the building. So we created these massive canopies at the base of the building that really shade the arrival and shade the lobby, but their entire surface are laced with photovoltaics. So those are little power plants at the base of the building that are not only protecting the user and creating a, you know beautiful lobbies to arrive in, but they're generating power for the building. Wow. So we're, all, we're always finding some 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 method and some means by which to create this kind of balanced ecosystem around around the projects and yet there's there's like to bring it closer to home like even the designs that you guys do that um 
because honestly, a lot of us are never going to get to the top of those buildings. But I will say, like, what's really cool about one of the designs you did, uh, even closer to home, um, one of your designs for the Tribune East Tower. Yeah. Um, there was uh, not the the one that had like three buildings, but there was one design that had a single tall building. And at the very bottom, it almost rippled out like a, like a dress or like a skirt yeah. or something. And oh, each yeah. of those ripples had like an opening with like these great windows and all of that. I thought that was fascinating just because it allows people who are walking by who may not have mm-hmm. any business, uh, you know, taking them up to the 100th, 20th floor or whatever it is, uh, to still admire the beauty of this building from street level. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's very important. You know, it, it, no matter what scale building you're doing, it's operating at a number of levels, right? It's operating at the pedestrian human level. You know, if it's a mid-rise building, it's it's speaking to that context at that height. If it's a super tall, it has another conversation at the skyline level. Right. But the I think one of the failures of many um, super tall or high-rise buildings is that they simply just come down to the street and stop. And, and there are two things about the work that we try to do. One is that we're always trying to create an experience for the pedestrian at the street level. Mm-hmm. And we're always trying to protect that pedestrian at the street level. So wind behavior and comfort is very important for us at that level. Um, and also at the very top, you know, we, we tend not to reserve the top of the buildings for just the mechanical. You know, we, we want to get you in a position where you will have an experience that you've never had before. We're looking for opportunities to, just like you do in your work, right? You're looking for an opportunity to move me, mm-hmm. right? What, as, as an audience member, you're looking to do something that would make me say, wow, you know, I, I, I just got goosebumps watching that. And, you know, that's, that's, what, that's what great actors do, and hopefully that's what good buildings do. 15 minutes, please. 15 minutes, stop the show. 15. So now, really bringing it closer to home, tell me about how Steppenwolf knocks on your door and how does that work? How does the process happen? It was a very um, unique meeting. The, the first meeting was a visit to the office by David Hawkinson and Martha Levy, which is probably now 14, 15 years ago. Wow. Um, and to be honest, they came in and talked to us about what they were hoping to achieve. And I said to them, I think that's fantastic. You know what we do with our work. I could probably give you the name of a bunch of architects that would love to do this project. And they said, what? What are you talking about? So... They said, how would you approach this? And so we walked around the office and I described an approach. I did not, we did not talk about our projects or our buildings or our experience. We just talked about an approach. Mm-hmm. And we came back in and Martha had her scarf. <laughs> she had a, I think she had a bottle of, Pepsi or Diet Pepsi or something like that. This all sounds right. (laughs) And she, you know, she crossed her legs on the conference room chair and she said, I think we'd like to work with you. Hmm. And that was the beginning of it. Um, 
the brief, there wasn't a brief in the sense of um, a written programmatic document. And this is why I love the project. The program, <laughs> and this is something we talk about in the office all the time, the program was not defined by X amount of square feet. The program, I would say, was more spiritual. Hmm. I don't know if I can, if that makes sense. It wasn't about, you know, we need this much back of house, this much theater. It wasn't that. It was, we need to create an environment for an ensemble and our people and kids that will take us to another generation of work. And as the years went by and we did options for them, we learned more about you and you learned more about us. And the conversations were like this, just very frank, very easy. And then David uh, Schmitz and Anna came along. And, you know, that was a whole new explosion of energy and vision, um, which essentially led to the, the building that you see today which I got a chance to walk through yesterday. Um, Claire Haupt um, uh, was so kind to kind of walk me around. And uh, I got to go into that theater, which I think also you guys worked with uh, Charcoal Blue. Um, yes. With, and, uh, you know, from walking into that lobby and seeing, at one point Claire actually stopped and said, so this is where the collision happens. And she used the word, <laughs> she was very pointed about the word collision. And I said, mm -hmm. huh, okay, I, I, I better ask Gordon Gill about this word collision. Uh, can you speak on that a little bit? Like how did you got, did they bring up that word collision? Was that something that you guys came about together? How did that happen? That is Anna Shapiro. <laughs> okay. 100% Anna Shapiro. So when, you know, Anna was always present in the process, mm -hmm. but in different roles. Sure. And was always um, very strong about her ideas. Very clear, very strong. Mm -hmm. um, so when Anna became artistic director, I, I, I sent her an email and I asked her, because I'd been with you guys, you know, forever at that point, and I would hear Frank Galati talk about where he thought theater occurred, or Martha would talk about where she thought theater occurred. So I asked Anna, I said, where do you think, what do you think this means? What do you think this building is about? And she wrote me an email that I still have and will always keep. And it was about her idea of where theater occurs. And that is in some space between you and me and it's not formal. It's, it, she, she referred to it as a collision. Hmm. And she said that collisions can be scary. They can be threatening. They can be joyous. But they always happen in an environment where you feel safe. You don't, you don't, you never feel that you are uncomfortable to the degree of not engaging. Mm -hmm. And, and she, and she wrote this, she wrote this amazing email and, um, I basically took that email 
and translated it into an architecture. Um, and it was fantastic. I mean, that, 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 that dialogue, and we still have it, you know. We, we, Anna, Anna is always talking about the layers of narrative in that building. Mm-hmm. So, so if, if we walk through that building, and if you have enough time to walk through that building and pick it apart, you will notice that there are sev- the materials. The materials have a role in the building. The um, structure has a role in the building. The skylight has a role. Every every piece of that building has a narrative around it, um, and it all comes together in this. I I, I would say um, dynamic relationship that is blurs the lines or blurs the distinction of space because you're sometimes you're actually not sure if you're inside or outside in that building which is cool (laughs) because in in walking i couldn't help but notice the idea that that theater uh is its own building does that make sense yeah you know that's little that's a little bit of a commentary Hmm. um you know when when we when we talked about this project we we took the attitude that we could we could have done a box and hidden the theater inside right. and there's that's that has that has a certain validity to it but at the same time there was an opportunity here to reveal the theater reveal the heart of this project to the public so when you go by on the street there is no mask that conceals the program sure the program is revealed to you through the transparent facade and it occupies the heart or center of this project and everything literally and metaphorically revolves around the theater hmm. so the, again when i when i talk to you about the narrative of it it's a it's a statement and a, a, it's, let's we don't have to call it a criticism but it's a commentary on the typology which is we're not hiding behind a mask this is who we are right but it's also at the center of your life because that is who you are and from an orientation standpoint because there's a lot going on and it's dynamic it doesn't make you feel uncomfortable because you always have a relationship to the most important piece which is the theater and so there's you know this was this was absolutely intentional it was absolutely a driver and um you know it's so different than the existing theater that we wanted to offer those kind of alternatives of experience and just like you do from your shows you want to offer a kind of different perspective sometimes Mm -hmm. there is a very unique layering that happens here you know as, as a campus or on the street you look and you see three buildings, right? Right. You see the existing building, you see 1700 to the north, and you see the new building to the south. You go inside, and they have three very different experiences, but in the lobby space, they're actually linked, mm-hmm. right? You can walk through all three lobbies and tie them together, so that, that creates that kind of harmony. And then when you go in the back of house, the house, it gets blurred because that's where, that's where the, the business of it happens. Sure. And now it's about, you know, connectivity and efficiency and functionality. And now it doesn't matter because 
now now we're running sets we're flying <laughs> you know you know screens we're doing everything else back there we're in the traps and and now it becomes that's just that's the heart of your home that's the that's the that's the back door and yet even where the sausage gets made so to speak back there right <laughs> uh upstairs mm-hmm. in uh the costume area um, the way that the floors are uh, made of materials that make it not as hard on people who have to stand all day. Um, the way that the windows are designed in such a way that it's respectful to the neighbors. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I could not get over the fact that every single thing that I saw had a purpose. Yeah, it, it's, you know, it was very important for us to have a relationship with the neighborhood. You know, it's it's a neighborhood theater for Pete's sakes, right? And it's a city theater, and it speaks at different scales, just like we just talked about other buildings speaking at different scales. And you know, I, I'm just very proud of the project. I think it's going to be a lot of fun for a lot of people. I can't wait to get in there and have it be filled. I I'm waiting for when I get to sit in the chair and watch you do your thing. I think I'll I'll find a spot <laughs> for you. I think I'll find a spot for Gordon Gill. I I don't care where I sit. I I I'll, I don't care where I am. I can be in the back. I don't. I can be in the in the in the corridor. I don't care. I well, just the good wanna... thing is every seat's a good seat. That is true. And I can say that honestly, having sat you know in the farthest seat, which is like what twenty feet away from the stage. So you know where that came from. Where in the search for what type of theater this was, I think Anna, David, and a number of people went on a tour in England. And they visited a number of spaces. And upon the dialogue that came out of those spaces, there was a conversation with Tracy Letts. And Tracy Letts said, I want them to see me sweat. <laughs> I sat in a rehearsal of Augusta Sage County in the Yondorf once. You know, those are raw kind of environments, right? Mm-hmm. And I, I sat in a chair probably about 10 feet from the action. And I watched Amy Morton rehearse, and I will never forget the power of that performance. Mm. When I say powerful, you know what I mean. I mean, yeah. moving, moving to the point where I saw other actors in tears mm. off stage trying to compose themselves after Amy, you know, was kind of speaking to them in the performance. Uh, it's it's extremely powerful, and that's what Tracy's looking for. He wants you to feel it. He wants you to see him sweat. He wants you to feel it. And I think you know when we talk about never being more than twenty feet away, and there's not a bad seat in the house. That's what I think. Charcoal Blue and us and 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 Steppenwolf was able to achieve in this theater, and you're gonna feel it. Five minutes is your five minute call. Five minutes. So now we come to the my favorite part of the show, and and Uh-oh. probably your least favorite part. We'll find out. <laughs> um, for sure. This is the lightning round section. This is Uh-oh. what we do uh, for every half hour podcast, and this is a chance for you to give your quickest, least thought oh, out no. <laughs> answer <laughs> to these questions. It sounds dangerous. No, no, only if you make it dangerous, right? Um, okay. okay. So, what animal? Do you, Gordon Gill, most identify with? Birds. What artist is giving you the most inspiration right now? Mm. I'm a I'm an old school kind of guy. Um, you know, I was I was just I was just looking at uh, 
Tina Turner's work the other day, Stevie Wonder. I'm a Motown kind of guy. I love reggae. I grew up in Jamaica, so Marley and Peter Tosh. I don't know if you know Peter Tosh. Yeah, sure. But Peter Tosh, I, I love. Um, today, you know, my kids um, send me stuff, and, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm always inspired by anything that's high energy and thoughtful. What job didn't you get? And this is an interesting question because you guys aren't salespeople. I've seen that. That's not what you do. Yeah. But what job did you not participate in or did you not accept? What job was that that I guess you could say broke your heart to a degree? Um, I can't think of one that we didn't get, but I can think of jobs that we've started like Mazdar headquarters mm. that because of the economy of the world stopped and didn't get finished. And that was, that was hard. Yeah. And that one was so beautiful. The drawings of that on your site are just, just incredible. Um, what do you daydream about? <laughs> you know, I dream about a space can I actually tell you this? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I dream about a space that is cognitive. I dream about a space that humans live in that understands what they need and is in balance with their with the natural environment. Wow. I don't even know what that means, but I'm I'm working on it. I was going to say <laughs> you're you're in the right career to figure that out. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm trying. What's one thing you do every day? I sketch every day. I, I, I doodle every day. What's your favorite place to unwind in Chicago? Um, any park. Oz Park, the, the lakefront. Um, you know, I, I, we were, I was writing a lot um, before the pandemic. We we're putting some books out soon, and I, I would go and I would go and hide in the um, in the front bar, and I would sit in the front bar. I I like anywhere where I like anywhere where people wouldn't expect to find me. <laughs> <laughs> Last question: If you were a character in a play, oh no, what would your character's description be? Quiet. We'll leave it there. Places, please, for the top of the show. Places, please. Gosh, I could just spend a lifetime in the in the building of that conversation. I could just, I would just sign a lease. That's pretty good in that conversation, and I would live forever. Just take up residence. Well, seriously, for someone who says quiet is their character description, I'm like, sorry, I could listen to that guy talk. Yes. And you talk forever, James. Wonderful, wonderful conversation. I don't know if you remember um, uh, during rehearsals for Ski Dubai uh, when he came and he talked to us and he spoke very, very, very softly and it made us lean in, like mm -hmm. lean in, like he is so used to being heard because he just has such, such great ideas and stuff to say and he doesn't have to speak above barely a whisper and we were all leaning in at that table. Mm. When you talked about what does he dream about? I audibly gasped at that answer. And then I think I will always now try to incorporate the idea of collision 
into my into my daily routine. That was really inspiring. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. The way he talked about architecture and the way he talked about the building, especially the building that we're going to get the, you know, have the joy to play in. It's a it's a character. Mm-hmm. I especially love that detail you talked about with the floors being designed for people who stand on them a long time, right? Yeah. But the big picture of it, you know, like a play, you talk about how it feels, the experience of being moved. And he talked about that, like, right? He wants to do something that moves you and that the building has a narrative to it. It was like, oh my gosh, like he's a storyteller too. And just the idea that you could think like, oh, an architect, an artist, like, oh, we're in all these different worlds and we're not. I mean, he's out there trying to tell stories and move people like we are. It was so cool to hear. I, I don't think I've ever met anyone like him. I, I'm really genuinely happy that that I've come to know him over the years. I'm I'm honored that uh, that I've come to know him so well. Well, it really comes across too that, that your mutual admiration for each other is just that kind of thing is fun to listen to as well. He's a good dude. Yeah. yeah. Gosh, I had a good time listening to this. But sadly, that puts the final piece of plywood on this conversation. <laughs> brings us to the end of today's episode of half hour brought to you by steppenwolf theater company thank you so much for listening and thanks again to our guest this week gordon gill half hour is produced by patrick zockham mixed and edited by matthew chapman the theme music for half hour is by michael bodine and rob milburn the voice of this episode stage manager was laura d glenn special thanks to claire Haup, tom pearl joel mormon madeline long Christopher Huizer, Kirsten Adams, Anna Denoya, and all the folks at Steppenwolf. Follow us on Twitter at SteppenwolfTHTR or on Facebook and Instagram. You can always get in touch by emailing halfhour at steppenwolf.org. Listen, we're not just saying that just for fun, guys. We want to hear what you thought of these shows. It means a lot uh, to know that you're out there and listening and, and um, um, you know, someone's paying attention to us. <laughs> <laughs> Till next time, this is Cliff Chamberlain, Audrey Francis, and James Vincent Meredith. A lifetime to engage, half hour to places. Please email us. <laughs> please email us, please. Please, please. It's we'll please. write you back, we'll read it, and we will. And clickety click, 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 click on your tap to tap. We'll put it in our, we'll flag it, we'll put it in our saved inbox. Yes, somebody DM me. All files. Please, please, please stop recording. Airdrop, you can airdrop a, uh, you can. <laughs> <laughs>